The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. I think Richard Miles, are you on the line now? I am, I'm sorry. That's right. Thank you very much for being with us. Just first of all, um, very concerning local news about this uh, case visiting Karaya Village Shopping Centre on Saturday. That's now an exposure site. But um, you have to rely on reading the Geelong Advertiser online to find out because it doesn't appear to be on the Department of Health website at this time. Uh, look, I haven't looked at the Department of Health website. Um, I, I was aware of that. Obviously, I didn't know whether it had made it into the Geelong Addy this morning because the news broke quite late yes, last night. Yes, it's on their website, yes. Yeah. Um, look, it's it's obviously uh, a concern. Um, it's not the first time we've had exposure sites in Geelong. I think it's just really important that people understand that the rules that are in place at the moment in relation to lockdown, we need to be following. This is why, um, you know, we need to be following to make sure that we are uh, doing everything we can to reduce the spread of this. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I, I, we've also got to have confidence in the authorities who are looking after us. And, uh, you know, we know where the sites are. I, I think um, everyone who, the, the, the family who have, uh, been infected are doing all the right things. Um, so I, you know, I, I think we've just got to have faith in, in the system and know that we're going to get through this. The Prime Minister said on Insiders on the weekend that he thought COVID zero was now unlikely for Australia. How do you feel about that and particularly Victoria's strategy? I mean, today 50 new cases, but only 11 of those cases were in isolation during their infectious period, which suggests that a substantial number of those are out spreading the virus around, unfortunately. Uh, well, there's a few few points to make there. The, the, the first thing is that in order to get to the other side of this, uh, we need to be fully vaccinated. Um, and we've been, as a nation, slow in doing that um, because really last year when there was the opportunity to put Australia in the front of the queue of the various vaccine projects around the world, the government, Scott Morrison, was complacent. Um, and that's why we find ourselves in the situation we are now. Um, the, the whole system of fit-for-purpose quarantine, uh, which the government was advised to pursue this time last year, they've not done. And, and you know, all of this um, comes from the original outbreak in New South Wales, which was actually a failure of, of quarantine. Um, the, and, and, and the handling of, uh, I think in that case, international flight crew. So it, it's, you know, that we are where we are right now is, is because of that. Um, I, I think until we are, have significant numbers of people vaccinated, um, we need to be doing everything we can everywhere to suppress the, the virus. And the only lever we have at our disposal is lockdown. So that that's why things are being pursued in the way they are. We, we've got to try and get the numbers down. Um, uh, you know, I, I think um, we, we've got really that, those dual strategies of doing everything we can to keep the numbers down, while at the same time making sure that people get vaccinated um, and get vaccinated as quickly as possible. That's how we get to the other side of it. But do we think that we can get to COVID zero? Because the people in Melbourne, they've been in lockdown for a number of weeks now, and I ran the numbers since the 28th of May. Melbourne spent more days in lockdown than out of lockdown, and yet here we are today still with people spreading the virus around and not in isolation during their infectious period. 
Well, well right now, uh, with with the numbers that we've got in Victoria, I, I think the um, aim that's being pursued by the Victorian government is right. Um, the, the the way in which we get to a point in the in the shortest period of time to being able to open up is by getting that number as close to zero as possible. Um, if, you, if you're looking over a time frame of the next year or, or beyond, then the issue is absolutely about getting vaccinated. Uh, so, and, and, and so long as we are sitting at a point now where it's, I think it's 23, 24% of the, the total population are fully vaccinated, there really is no choice but to be pursuing a strategy of trying to suppress the case numbers and, and the best strategy in terms of being able to give us the freedoms that we, we want as soon as possible is to get that number as close to zero. It would appear possible. that the Prime Minister is suggesting that we shouldn't have lockdowns and we reach 80% of the population being double vaccinated, but some state premiers, including Mark McGowan, and it would appear Daniel Andrews is suggesting, well, no, we will still continue to have lockdowns. Where do you sit in this debate? Well, uh, again, they're, they're, um, uh, I, I think the, the point to make here is that the, the Doherty research was intended to provide uh, a national roadmap uh, for the country. Um, really clear is that the Prime Minister has been incapable of getting all the states and territories onto that roadmap. Um, so, you know, that's one of the the, 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 the first points to make in relation to this. Um, I think, um, again, the, the, what we need to be doing now is to be getting people as vaccinated as quickly as they possibly can. And, and I think the other point is that the, the conditions that apply in terms of, you know, the amount of disease which is out there, uh, at the point at which we've got um, at 70, 80% of the population vaccinated, and again, there's a real question as to what we're talking about there. The, the Prime Minister talks about uh, the eligible population. By that, he means those who are over 16, but the virus certainly doesn't regard people as under 16 as being ineligible to get the virus. But what we're seeing is that significant numbers of children are getting the virus. And uh, I think there is a real question about what the strategy is in relation to children. Um, that question, how prevalent the virus is at the point that we get to the number that we most desire, are going to impact the strategies that we put in place around how we open up. There's a degree to which this is going to be a movable situation, but it's why we, you need to have a Prime Minister who can actually bring everyone around the table and put everyone on the same page. And, and this Prime Minister has patently failed to be able to do that. And just last of all, before we move on to a couple of other issues, uh, it would appear that there's been doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine wasted each week. And yet um, we hear also that there's appointments available out at the Ford factory and other locations. Yet I speak to people as well that say they're trying to go on and book an appointment and quite often they can't get an appointment for a number of weeks. I'm just wondering what's going on here. Somewhere along the line, there seems to be an issue with getting the vaccine into people's arms with minimal wastage. Yeah, well, I think this is a. I don't know the the, the answers to all of those questions, but um, I, I mean, we we uh, do have issues with uh, supply of certain types of the vaccine, 
um, that that is one of the, the the issues. I do think actually the Ford site is probably a model in respect of a mass vaccination centre, not just in Victoria but around the country. Um, it, it was one of the first mass vaccination centres that was set up, and it, it really is doing an exemplary job in getting people vaccinated. Which is why, in in Victorian terms, there's a relatively high number of people who are being vaccinated here in Geelong. Um, you know, that said, we've, we've, we've got to just keep learning with this, make sure that uh, when, when more supply of Pfizer particularly comes online in the next month or so, that we're in a position to get that um, into people's arms as quickly as possible and that, uh, you know, people are also taking up the opportunity to get AstraZeneca. Now, in Afghanistan, uh, the Prime Minister didn't want to answer whether or not the US had gone too early with removing troops from Afghanistan. I'm just wondering, do you or does the opposition have a view on this? And is that perhaps one of the reasons why we're in this current very tragic situation? Uh, sorry, can you just repeat that again? Sure. The prime, yeah, the prime minister he spoke on insiders, and he didn't really want to answer. I didn't think whether or not Joe Biden made the call to remove the U.S. troops from Afghanistan too early. I'm just wondering, does the opposition have a viewpoint on this? Look, I, I, you know, I felt anxious about um, the decision that America made. That said, I, you know, I think America is in a very difficult situation. Um, I, I can certainly, you know, understand, given everything that's been playing out in Afghanistan, why America's moved down the path that they did. Um, and, you know, our um, involvement in Afghanistan is, is in a complementary sense, really, meaning this is a, a mission that is led by the United States. So ultimately, the, the decision lies there. Uh, certainly, what we've seen is very tragic in terms of the images of the Taliban taking control of Kabul and for the tens of thousands of uh, veterans in Australia who served in Afghanistan, I know how difficult those images will be. I think it's really important that they know that their service has made a real difference um, in, in Afghanistan, I think, to the security of the world. But but it's really made a difference to us. I mean, the, 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 the contribution that they've made... Um, has done honour to the country and and is a source of pride and it will be there forever and um, and it now really belongs to Australian history um, and and in that sense is is honoured and 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 they need to know that. Um, I think one aspect where we we did have control was in relation to those who supported us in Afghanistan and um, many particularly the interpreters, translators. There would have been a number of contractors uh, um, providing security at certain. Uh, moments, uh, um, we 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 do owe those people um, a duty, um, a moral obligation, really, because they threw their lot in with us, um, and because of that, you know, they risk being particularly targeted by the Taliban, and we should have been doing a lot more, a lot earlier, to make sure that those people and their families were brought to safety. And the fact that we've been, um, you know, we're, we're sort of rushing to do this right now um, is, you know, is, is very sad. And, and that was something which was completely within the control of the Australian government and really should have been acted upon. And um, and it was completely foreseeable. Uh, you know, former Liberal Prime Ministers were calling on Scott Morrison to act on this months ago, um, and, and he's failed. He, he's, he's acted you know, too little, too late in respect of a whole lot of people who look to Australia for their security. 
Now, you've got a new book out, and it's called Tides That Bind, Australia in the Pacific. And if I recall correctly, I think you were a uh, parliamentary secretary to the Pacific Islands back in the Gillard government. Is that right? I was, um, and and really the book uh, deals with a lot of the, the time uh, when I was doing that role, um, during which I I visited well, just about every one of the countries of, of the Pacific. And it's been a passion of mine, not just uh, from then, although that certainly uh, confirmed it, but prior to entering Parliament, I'd, I'd had uh, a long association with the Pacific in various forms. Um, and really, it's uh, so, so this has been a labour of love, I might say, but um, the, I suppose the, the, the call in the book is for, uh, in its simplest terms, for the Pacific to play a bigger role in Australia's foreign policy, that we should be seeing the Pacific much more significantly in terms of the way in which we engage with the world. And, um, uh, and so this is really trying to encourage those foreign policy thinkers, particularly in Canberra, to give the Pacific more attention. It's really interesting because when you think about the media coverage of Australia's foreign policy, it's usually with the bigger players, the US, China, for example, we actually don't hear a great deal about the Pacific. What are the benefits to Australia of engaging more with the Pacific in your view? Well, it's the part of the world where we have the biggest impact. Um, it's it, If you look at the, the countries in the world which would see their most significant relationship uh, as not being with the United States or with China, but but is actually with us. Um, you know, there's 10, 11 of those countries and they're in the Pacific. Um, and and so that, that right there says something. It, it, it says this is a place where we can make a difference, where we can meaningfully help development and change lives for the better. Um, so, so from that point of view, it's really important that we are engaging. But a lot then flows from that uh, because as, as other parts of the world show an interest in the Pacific, they, they look to us to uh, give some sense of guidance about um, what's happening in the Pacific and, and how they can help in the Pacific. You know, what, what I found when I was doing that role was that I spoke to the Americans a lot um, and America is our most important bilateral relationship and it's a very deep and extensive relationship which covers defence, but it it covers the economy, it it covers scientific exchange, it it covers sport, you know, it's it's right across the spectrum. Um, Mostly, uh, given America is a large country, a a superpower, and we are a a middle power, mostly it's a a relationship which is characterised by us looking to America to see what direction we should move. But there is one uh, area where America comes to us and says in a completely unqualified way, what what should they do as a superpower? What, how should they act? Um, they, they seek to follow our lead um, and that's the Pacific. So right there, what you suddenly realise is that our what we what we say what we do how we think about the Pacific is is the is the one example in the context of our relationship with the United States where we get to demonstrate what we look like as a leader and and in that moment the Pacific is important in its own terms but it starts to be important in terms of our relationship with the United States and you can run that analysis in respect of our relationship really with with China with the with the Europeans across the world actually um, in in many ways. Um, the Pacific, whether we understand it or not, is something of our global calling card for, for good or for ill. People rightly, I think, are judging us by how we, we perform in the Pacific. Um, and I'm not sure we 
understand that enough. Um, and so it, 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 it's a significant part of our, of our global CV, if I can put it that way. Um, and it's, and it's therefore really important that we get it right. And, and when you take a step back and say, well, are we getting it right? Look, we do a lot of things in the Pacific, which, which are, are really good. We have a very big presence in the Pacific. Uh, we, we devote significant resources to it. Um, by the same token, the, the, the Pacific is, um, is not traveling that well in terms of development. Uh, the Millennium Development Goals, which were a relative measure of development for the years 2000 to 2015, during that period of time, the Pacific was the worst performing region in the world. Um, I, you know, I think that's got something to do with us. You know, there's there's a, a long way to go, and you can you can find places of real poverty and desperation in the Pacific that you know we could have an impact upon that we could change. And if 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 we you know if we acted with a greater intent, and and so I think for all those reasons, it's it's really important. I think that we focus Pacific. Um, and uh, because it, it, it's kind of, to me, the bedrock of, of what we look like as a global citizen. And just last of all, very quickly, what's it like trying to launch a book in COVID? You can't do the usual book signings and speaking tours. How do you work around that? Uh, well, like um, so many other things, I, you, you find yourself doing a Zoom meeting. Um, and so we, we launched the book by Zoom. Um, I did it with my old uh, sparring partner, Christopher Pine, a, a few weeks ago. And so I'm doing other Zooms and podcasts, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the, the the best we can do. Mm. Thanks for being on the program. Zoom meeting the answer to everything. Talk uh, next yeah. month. No worries. Thanks. Thank you very much, Richard Miles, with us there, MP for Cario. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.